Amen. Thank you, guys. Bradley, Bradley, Bradley. <laughs> Did your parents used to call you, call you that, by the way, when you're growing up and you do something Only that would just trouble? Yes. Yeah, when you're in trouble. <laughs> uh, those of you on the email distribution list or on Facebook would have realized that we uh, communicated through the eWeekly yesterday. If you didn't get that, sign up for it, and then you'll be able to get the uh, communication. And we just shared yesterday, uh, Brad, myself, Pastor Lynn, and Mike, that um, God has been calling you to, and you and Shannon and the family, to surrender uh, the call here to a call to Nashville. And it would be true to say that as we've been communicating through this, it's like, oh God, really? Uh, not now. Actually, not ever, right? Um, but the... But the reality is you're a minister of Jesus Christ, and if there's anything we read in the New Testament, folks, read it in Acts chapter 20, the reality is that every minister belongs to Jesus, and it's the privilege of a local church to enjoy the benefits of that ministry for the season that God says. And God has spoken to you and Shannon in a very clear and an unmistakable way, surprising way, thankfully to them too. Um, that that season is coming to a close. Um, so Brad, I'm gonna share a couple of things at the end of this, just as thank you to you, but um, just share with your faith family here some of the, the process leading up to this. He's not running away, well actually he is, he's going on an airplane after this to Turkey. Thank you buddy, we appreciate that. Uh, not only that, Mike's going on vacation next week, Lynn's going on vacation next week, they're all deserting me, that's the way that works. But seriously, he's not running away, you're gonna probably hear a little bit more of this as we go on, but just share with us right now what God's been saying to you and Shallon in, with regards to the call to Nashville that you sense. Well, good morning friends, it's... Uh... It's great to see you, and um, as Craig mentioned, we just want to take a little bit of time and just, and just share. I've actually got notes. We can cover the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation with no notes in 73 minutes, but for the next 10 minutes, I think I might need some notes just to, to stay on track. There's, there's a number of things that, that, I wanna, that I wanna share with you, but as Craig just mentioned, and for those of you who are on the email list, um, my wife Shalyn and I feel uh, wholeheartedly that God is sending us to Nashville, and uh, I found out last night that there's actually a Nashville, Michigan. Did you all know that there's a Nashville, Michigan? It's not that one. <laughs> uh, it's the one in Tennessee, and um, this is something that has, has taken us by surprise. In fact, it was just uh, less than two weeks ago that I, I shared with Mike and Craig the journey that we were on, and it's only been a month since God even started to reveal to us what he's been doing. If you would have told me a month ago that I'd be standing before you sharing what I am sharing today, I would have laughed you right out of the building and then asked you what you'd been smoking. I mean, it, this has not been on our radar. It's been totally and utterly unexpected. And we saw ourselves being here for, for a long time. And so this has been, this has been quite, quite a shock. Uh, why Nashville? <clears throat> uh, we have no idea. I've never been to Nashville before. Um, I'm not even a big country music fan, all right? Uh, I don't have skinny jeans and boots. That's Micah and Torin, you know? <laughs> These th we're getting there, but... Uh, we just, we just feel like that is where we're supposed to be. And over the last few weeks, God has just made that unbelievably clear. And if I were to take some time and walk you through all of the ways God has shown us Nashville, which has never been on our radar, a place I've never been, you'd probably look in on the situation and go, 
yeah, I think God is sending you to Nashville. Uh, that's been the overwhelming response uh, that, that we have been getting. But, uh, but we just feel like we're supposed to be in Nashville. Um, and to do what? We have no idea. Uh, I do not believe my, my calling for this next season of my life is, is to be in a local church. So we just feel like God has said, you're supposed to go to Nashville and you'll get the rest when you get there. And that's all we know. So you can imagine our surprise being sent out from a place like Central, a place like West Michigan, a place like Holland that we absolutely love from a congregation that we absolutely adore to go do. We don't know what. Uh, I'm going to still be doing my trips to the Middle East. Um, I've got a, a side thing helping people learn how to communicate and teach that, that I'll be doing, but it doesn't take much time. I'll probably guest teach here and there. We've already talked about me coming back to Central after the new year and guest teaching. So that will probably be something that I do, but kind of the central core of, of what I do, I, I've, I've, I've no idea. We have no idea at this time. We just feel very clearly that God is saying, I'm sending you to Nashville and you'll get the rest when you get there. So, uh, so that's kind of where we're at. Now, I know that maybe if, if, if some of you are thinking, okay, so what, what really happened for you to go? And before, before I answer that, I just want to remind you that one of the core values that I have as a teacher, as a communicator, is that for those I get to lead, that I'm always open and honest and real because I'm on the journey with you. We're all on this journey of life. We're all on this journey of being a disciple. And I've always counted it a value to be transparent with those I've led. And you are the first church community that I ever felt comfortable enough to tell my story to of being a former porn addict. Because you're like family. You've become like family. I felt comfortable enough that for whatever reason, God allowed me to heal enough uh, to be able to share my story in a helpful way, a story of brokenness, a story of pain, uh, a story that, that lets you know that God has had to do a lot of work in my life. And, and I told that story to you because you've been like family. So in that spirit of you being reminded of that, what happened? Nothing. Nothing happened. Uh, Central hasn't done anything wrong. I haven't done anything wrong. I'm healthy. I'm in a great place. My wife and I, we are in the best place we've ever been as a married couple. Um, our four kids are doing fantastic. They're a bit loud and rambunctious for our liking at times, but uh, our, our kids are doing really well. We love West Michigan. We love Holland. We love our home. We love our community. We love our friends. We love you. We love working with the staff, with the elders. Uh, we love you. And Craig and I have worked absolutely unbelievably well together. I mean, this has been such a joy for me. There is nothing between the two of us whatsoever. Craig came in in a very tough situation and circumstance, which was entering in with a teaching pastor who had been here for a couple of years, a teaching pastor that had a voice on stage. That's a really tough position for a lead pastor to enter into knowing that there is somebody else here that communicates a lot. 
And I know that there was some trepidation on my part based on who we were going to hire to be a lead pastor. And there was definitely some trepidation on Craig's part entering into a, com- enter- entering into a situation like this. But the very first conversation we had, we got done going, oh, we're going to make this work. This is fine. no problem. This is going to be fun. And it has been. Um, Craig, yeah, it's been a gift. And I know that for me, there's a lot of gifts that, that Craig has in a different measure than what I have that I've been able to, to learn from him. And it has been an absolute joy to be able to learn from, from Craig um, throughout this, this entire process as well. And so uh, Central's done nothing wrong. <laughs> We've done nothing wrong. And uh, it's the first time I've ever seen him use notes. I know. <laughs> I've never done this before. You can let you know it's very, very, very emotional. So, what, so, so here's what I did want to share, because if everything is absolutely fine, why does God call you on from, from somewhere? So here's, here's the tension that I've been living in. This is what Craig and I have been in lots of conversations. This has been what's so cool is that we have been friends before we're lead pastor and teaching pastor. And this has been true with, with Mike and the others on staff, that, that we've been in this conversation for a while now because I have been wrestling. I've, I've, I've had this tension that there is something inside of me that has been trying to get out. And I have been wrestling to go, I don't know what that is. I just know that I'm supposed to do something but, but I'm wrestling with, with, with what that actually is. And so for several months now, I've been on this quest of going, okay, God, help me to see what the good is from the great. Help me to know what you are asking me to do. Because for the most part, it's pretty easy to say no to the bad things, right? It's easy to say no to bad and, and yes to the good. What's really, really tricky is when there are lots of things going on that are either good or great, and you're trying to discern between the two. And I think that what has come to realize is that I've been a teaching pastor for a decade now, is that being a teaching pastor has been a great thing. It has been the great thing that God has called me to do. But the transition has now become a good thing. It hasn't become the very thing that, that, that God has been calling me to next. And so the tension has been as the trips have grown, as other opportunities have come, it's not that I've been looking for any other opportunity, it's that I've been wrestling with Craig to go, something is on the inside, something is happening, and I know that God's got something for me to do, but I just don't know what that is. And the reality has has come is that in order to be a teaching pastor and do that really well in a mega church like this, there are lots of other responsibilities you have, time and emotional energy that go towards things, and I'm starting to realize that those things I need to do in order to lead you well from the stage from a communication standpoint, but those are now becoming the very things that are starting to pull the passion and energy away from doing the thing that I believe God has gifted me to do, and that's to teach, to be able to put more time and more energy into doing this, and I believe that what God has said is, I've got something in that realm for you to do. I'm not gonna let you know what it is yet, you just gotta get to Nashville, and I'll give it to you when the time is right, but that, that there's something inside of me, and, it's, and, it's, and I, I know it, I know it deep in my core. 
And so uh, we're, taking, uh, we're taking a risk. We're taking a leap of faith. It's not something we've, we haven't done before. Um, when I was in Adrian as a business person before I even came to West Michigan, God said, basically, I want you to leave that all behind. And I'm going to send you into an unknown future. And that unknown future has become known in what I've gotten to do, that I've gotten to journey with you and all of these amazing things that God has brought our way. And now God is asking us to do that again. And one other piece of my story that, um, that has been really fascinating is I've been just kind of wrestling and reflecting on my journey, and it's this. When we left Southeast Michigan to come to West Michigan for seminary, um, I, I left a church that I was just a congregate in. And this had nothing to do with me because I was just a congregate, but I left the church, and after I left, uh, six weeks later, over a course of six weeks, the senior pastor, the associate pastor, and the worship pastor all left. And the elders came to me and they said, Brad, would you teach at least once a month until we get a senior pastor? And I said, yes, I will do that. And I taught at least once a month, sometimes twice a month, which, mind you, I was also in seminary and also teaching at a church in Detroit. And it took the elders three years to find a senior pastor. And, uh, and I was even a, a teaching pastor there for an entire summer as an internship. And what happened was, is that this church invited me in, in a time of transition, I got to be a voice in the midst of the transition to help stabilize, to help them get healthy. And the moment they got healthy, God called us on because then we moved to Jerusalem, took another risk that God was asking us to take. Came back from Jerusalem a year later and a church called me up and said, hey, would you pulpit supply for us for a couple of weeks? Our senior pastor just had to step down unexpectedly and we are in the midst of a massive transition. I went in for two weeks and God had me stay for three years. And I got to be a voice in the midst of the transition. The church stabilized, it got healthy, and then God called us to Central. And who would have known after only six months that Central would go through the biggest transition in its 120-year history? And God has enabled me over the last four years to be a voice in the midst of the transition for a church to get stabilized, to get really healthy again, and to be moving in a great direction. And now God calls us on. So no church is going to want to hire me because that means a transition is coming. Uh, <laughs> But God has allowed us to play that role. And now we don't know what we're being asked to do next. But I'm excited because anytime God has called us on, it's because God has been doing a great thing in a church and the church is gonna be on a great trajectory. Because over the last several months, my wife and I have known that we're crossing the Jordan River that we've been talking about this with a stronger challenge and we believed wholeheartedly that that Jordan we were crossing was the Jordan that you're crossing as well. It's only in the last couple of weeks that God has let us know that we are indeed crossing the Jordan. It's just not the same Jordan River that you're crossing. And we're scared and we're excited and we're sad. And we're sad to be being sent on from you and that we're not gonna be able to continue this journey with all of you. The timing we don't know yet. Uh, it's all contingent upon the selling of our house. We can't go if we don't sell our house. Don't buy his so. house, folks. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <clears throat> some of you are thinking, I'm gonna be the first in line. Uh, let's get him out. But uh, so we're just leaving this up in, into God's timing, into God's hands. We have an idea that, that hopefully we can continue the, or, or fill out the, the fall series together um, or as much as possible, but, but we don't know. All, all we know is that... Um, 
four years have been amazing with you. And this is shocking and unexpected and we're grieving as well. And if there's anything that I would just say right now, this is not my last time teaching, I'll get to say it again, is that on behalf of Shell and myself, thank you. We love you. Let's show our appreciation. Don't make him cry too much. He's still got a message to preach. Um. <laughs> One of the things I do is that uh, when I find out that some of my staff are just reading books in crucial seasons, I read the book too. So I you know, found out Brad was reading a couple of books, and so I read them as well. It just helps me kind of enter into emotionally, spiritually, you know, and mentally too, just where they're at. And, and one of those books actually encourages, uh, you know, encourages us to just vocalize those internal questions, those internal emotions. So let me just do that for a second. The first emotion when he told me was, you've got to be kidding me. In fact, Mike didn't sleep well for a few days uh, after this one. The second reaction on the inside was, Nashville? Yeah, it kind of makes sense. Do you know I say that? He may never have been to Nashville, but in many regards, Nashville is the seat for a lot of what comes out of the Christian world, not just in terms of music, but in terms of ministry. And when I came in on the candidating weekend, which was actually just over two years ago, I was asked in public forums, I think it was three or four times, what about Brad? Is Brad going to stay? And basically, back then I said what I remind you of right now. Firstly, no minister belongs to anyone other than Jesus Christ. He does not belong to us. He belongs to Jesus. And the safest place for Brad and Shannon, the safest place for the church, is when we allow the ministers to do what Jesus is calling them to do. God expects nothing more and we do nothing less. Follow the call of Jesus. Secondly, I reminded you that good teaching pastors rarely stay long-term. I pointed out over two years ago, Ortberg and Heibels, Giglio and Stanley. And so even back then, there was the sense that I'd already got, that God had gifted Brad in a way that his ministry would go beyond the local church. And so I encouraged this way back then to hold loosely to what God had gifted us with. And, and folks, two years later, I'm kind of saying, yeah, that internal voice was saying, yeah, Nashville, kind of makes sense. The third part of that was I said, look, whatever God does with Brad, I can assure you this, if Brad ever goes from here, he will not leave here. He will be sent from here. We are not losing him. The only way we can think like that is if we believe that the kingdom of God begins with us and ends with us. It does not. He isn't leaving. 
He will be sent. You guys will be sent. And I can assure you that from me and Vipka, uh, from Mike, Ann, Lynn, Cheryl, everybody on our staff and in this church, we will do what we need to do to make this sending for you as great as, as, great as it can possibly be. Um, I also said back then, if God sends him on, it won't be because we don't get on. And I echo that with you, Brad. You've been amazing. It's so refreshing for me to be in a context with Brad where... He's got an ego in the sense of he knows what he's called to do and he does it with excellence. But there has just been no competitive spirit here, just the spirit of of cooperation and unity that has been a joy for me and has actually helped me understand the church far more because I haven't had to worry about the pulpit. Thank you for the integrity you brought to that process. Thank you for your friendship. And uh, I'm just excited about what God's gonna do. You will see Brad again, Um, obviously the Lord willing. We're planning that for 2017, but Brad, thank you. It's been awesome. It's not over yet. We've got a great series uh, to kind of go out on uh, together, and I'm excited about that one. Um, And and let me just say, the kind of fourth voice was, thank God it's Nashville, not Hudsonville, or Granville, or Mars Hill. One of the things I think of when I came in here was, how has Holland got this much talent? Have you noticed that? And I really believe that more talent from this area needs to be sent into the world. And church, finally, as Brad gets ready to give a message, I really believe with all of my heart that Central is in a season where God is teaching us that sending hurts. Seating is far better. But sending is what the Great Commission is all about. We're in a season where now we realize we're not just sending Brad, we're actually sending Torin, we're sending Jordan, we're sending 70 other people to start a campus. Over the next three months, the work that the Spirit of God wants to do in our hearts is to teach us to hold things loosely. The reason for all of this is to send people like this. And if God has done this for Brad, if God is doing this to Jordan, if he's doing this with Torrin, if he's doing this with 70 of you, I can't wait to see what God has got for us. A book that has really ministered to me in this season, little did I know it would hurt this much, is J.D. Greer's book, Gaining by Losing. If you want to understand that kind of spirit in the church, read that book. One of the most prophetic books I believe the church in America needs to hold on to today. We gain when we hold things loosely. And we will gain by just responding in faith to Brad and Shannon. Shannon, do you wanna come up here? I just wanna pray for the both of you. Brad goes on a, on a trip today, pray for him. You may have noticed he took a box of uh, kind of handkerchiefs, uh, toilet tissues over there. It's not because he's emotional, although he is, it's because he's struggling with a head cold. So he's gonna get on an airplane, he's gonna travel, he's gonna lead. How many people you got going? got 35. He's got 35 people going with him, people he's training and uh, teaching. So that means that Shannon is going to be kind of at home. I know you're going to visit your family too. That was already planned with a number of kids in the house going on the market. Hey, buddy, you scored that one. Um, I'm blaming God on this one. So I want to pray for Shannon and the, and the children. And uh, we're still going to enjoy a great uh, number of weeks together. Um, but I just want to pray for them. And uh, obviously, we'll, we'll update you more as we go along. Guys, this is a sad day. It really is. You guys have been awesome. You really have. But as I said, there's a sense of joy in there too. There's no better place for a child of God to be than in his will. 
So just join me in praying for them. And, uh, and then, Brad, get into the message. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for Brad and Shannon. I just want to thank you for, for who they are, firstly. It, it has been, for me personally, for Vipka, just such a, a joy and a privilege uh, just to minister alongside them and with them. God, we thank you, and I thank you for the time I've had with this couple. And I thank you, Father, for, for the way that you've used them in this church. Just as Brad shared his story about how you've used him three times in transitional seasons, we can just see that there's a pattern emerging that, that just helps us understand what's happening here. But Father, it's still hard. The sense of loss is still real. But Father, in our sadness, we release them into your call. And we just pray, Holy Spirit, have your way. Lead the perfect buyer to their home in the right time with the right offer. Lead them into the right areas of Nashville that you're calling them to. Lead them into ministry opportunities, Father, that allow Brad and Shannon to use their gifts, but also to make an impact in those people in the area where they are who do not know you. And Father, for the time that we have together, we thank you for it. And we thank you, Father, that there really isn't a better place for us to be than releasing your people into kingdom service. Father, sending does hurt. But today we give you a sacrifice of praise. And we say, thank you for sending them to us. And we now do our part in sending them into your service again. God, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. God's people said? Amen. Amen. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you both a lot. And Brad, you're up. So how do you transition out of that? <laughs> you know, one of the things that as we were, we were talking about this, we just said, um, you know, none of this timing is, is, is surprising to God. It's surprising to us, but not to God. And Several months ago, thank you very much. Uh, several months ago, God gave Craig and I just an idea for this teaching. And so we just really felt like because God had birthed it for this Sunday, that we needed to continue to, to do that. And, you know, one of the things that we're also reminded of is every Sunday we gather, we gather become, because of a person. Um, and that person is Jesus Christ. It's, it's never about a person on a stage. It can't ever be about anybody on a stage. It's always around Jesus and what he is doing. And so it's with that in mind that we want to dive into a teaching of Jesus as we continue our messy church. We didn't realize how applicable that was going to be, um, but uh, this messy church series that Craig launched last week. So uh, if you're a guest here this morning, well, you picked an interesting morning to be at Central, but uh, so glad that you are here. I actually have already spotted a couple of new people that haven't been here before, Matt and Christy. It's great to have you guys here today as well. And uh, I'm really excited to do this teaching, and it's going to be much shorter than what I normally do. So some of you are like thinking, I'm already starting to get hungry. It's going to be a shorter teaching, but we trust it's going to be no less powerful uh, because it's a story about what Jesus does and continues to do. So I'd like to invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 5. Big shout out to our ushers for hanging around. If you need a copy of scripture, they're walking down the aisle right now. You can put your hand in the air and they'll get you a copy of scripture. And we're going to go to Luke chapter 5. And here is a, just a graphic from last week for those of you who are here that Craig launched this series talking about what Jesus did between the holy places, between the temple, the times he's in the temple, the times he's in the synagogue, 
when it's just all throughout the week, an everyday life existence, if you will. And one of the things that Craig talked about is that how Jesus in many ways just had these really big arms to welcome people in, that he was doing things that others didn't like because he didn't fit into the typical mold. Jesus was spending time with people that wouldn't be caught in a religious institution like the church today or the temple or the synagogue back then. And we want to continue to look at how Jesus is engaging with these kinds of people. So in Luke chapter 5, page 1032, if you're just getting a copy of Scripture, we look at another story of Jesus interacting with a, with a gentleman, a gentleman whose name is Levi. And we're going to start reading in verse 27. We're only going to be reading a few verses today, but uh, again, a really, really powerful story And uh, this is how it goes. Verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. All right, let's pause. Now, we read that, and we go, okay, so Jesus saw somebody, a tax collector, called him. He got up and left. Great. That's because we have no idea what it was like to live in the first century world. Because if you're in the first century world and you hear this story, you go, whoa, 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 whoa. That, whoa, that is totally unexpected. Like, I was trying to think, okay, like, what would this be like? Well, it'd be kind of like listening to music and then something happens in the midst of it. So all of a sudden, you're kind of going along, you're hearing this music. That's abrupt. It's exactly what's happening in this passage. The record just scratched. Not just at one point, but at four points in what I just read, the record just scratched. So let's, let's, let's begin with the tax collector. Okay, if you want to find out who the most hated people were in the ancient world, it was tax collectors. Some of you go, no, isn't that today as well? No, those people are just doing their job. It's, you know. But in the ancient world, it was really amped up. See, Rome is ruling the world at this time, and the Jewish people are being taxed up the wazoo. You take all of their taxes, and they're probably getting taxed at least 50% of their income. At least. Some of you complain about taxes now. 50%. That's a low-end conservative estimate. Some go as high as 70% or more. There are direct taxes to the empire that you pay for the Roman military and for Rome to do its thing. There are also indirect taxes which come from buying and selling. Just traveling between different regions, you would have to pay a tax. And all of a sudden, you've got all of these taxes happening. And when it comes to the direct tax to Rome, the Roman governors take care of that. But when it comes to all the rest of the taxes, you have a system called called tax farming. And it works this way. You go to a particular region like Galilee where the story has taken place and the Romans go there and they go to a wealthy group of people and they say, who wants to be the chief tax collector for this area? And one wealthy person steps up and they go, I'll give you $350,000 for this area. Another guy goes, $350,000, I'll give you $400,000 for this area. Of course, Rome's going to go to the highest bidder. 
$400,000, well done. You are now the chief tax collector for this area. At that moment, that wealthy person has to shell out $400,000 because Rome takes it up front. Now your responsibility as the chief tax collector over the next year is to go around and collect taxes from everybody in that area so that you not only recoup your $400,000, but you also make some on top of it. And everybody knew that tax collectors took more. A chief tax collector will have his little minions of other tax collectors to collect it on behalf of them. And as long as they take a little bit more than they get paid, the chief tax collector will take more so they get paid. And everybody hated the system and hated the process. And by the way, Levi is one of the minion tax collectors who's doing this on behalf of a chief tax collector. And he is absolutely hated by the people. Not only because he's collecting taxes, but because of his name. His name is Levi. Now, in Matthew's gospel, it's actually Matthew. So scholars are are, are certain that Matthew and Levi were talking about the same person. Why do we have two names? Well, in the ancient world, oftentimes somebody would have two names. And many people think that the actual name is Matthew and Levi is more of a title. Like Matthew, Levi, that Levi is actually a Levite because almost certainly he comes from the tribe of Levi. And that goes back to the Older Testament when Jacob has 12 sons. One is Levi. Jacob's name gets changed to Israel. Levi becomes the Levites, part of the children of Israel. These are the people who led worship on behalf of the Jewish people. Levi is probably from this lineage, which means Levi probably grew up in a really good Jewish home. He grew up in a religious household. And now he is exacting taxes from his fellow Jews. Not only are the Jews angry about the taxation system, but they are angry that a fellow Jew, a fellow countryman, is robbing them to hand over money to the empire, an empire who has Caesar on the throne, who calls himself Lord and God. As a Jew, that's treason. Now you have a fellow Jew taking your money to hand over to this person and it just gets even worse. And you can understand why tax collectors were the most hated people on the face of the planet. And here Levi is also collecting taxes as a good Jew. Levi's lost his way. He's lost his way. And he's been cut out of society in many ways. I mean, tax collectors, because of how they did what they did, they were only one of three people groups that weren't allowed to testify in court because they're untrustworthy. As a tax collector, you were not allowed to be in the synagogue or the temple. You were not allowed to be in a religious environment, not because there were any rules against it, but socially, you were ostracized. Religiously, you were ostracized. You couldn't enter in there because you didn't want to put yourself through that. So here we have somebody who is a tax collector, who is a Jew who is socially and religiously on the outside. He's an outcast. He represents all of those on the outside. And Jesus comes to him and says, follow me. Record scratch. No, 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 that doesn't happen. You're not supposed to do that, Jesus. And yet Jesus comes to Levi, somebody who had lost his way. Now, Was Levi greedy? Is that why he became a tax collector? Maybe. Or perhaps his family had been taxed so high 
that they were dirt poor and Levi's only course of action he believed to provide for the family was to take this job as a tax collector. We don't know, but he's on the outside. And Jesus comes and he says, follow me. A technical rabbinic term that says, I want you to become one of my disciples. Not just come hang out with me, but be one of my disciples. See, Jesus pursued those who were on the outside, whether they had a pagan background or a quote-unquote Christian background and lost their way, Jesus came to them. To those who were struggling. You could say to those who are on this fence. Those whose lifestyle in some way, shape, or form feels fundamentally broken. People that as a result of what they are struggling with, what is part of their story, wouldn't want to be caught dead in a religious area because they feel judged, dejected, I don't fit in, that's not for me. And Jesus breaks right through that barrier. And he says to Levi, I want you. I want you to come and be a part of my community. See, Jesus took 12 disciples. Levi was one of those 12. 12, that's an interesting number. Yep. That's the number of sons that Jacob had that became the children of Israel, the community of Israel. When Jesus takes on 12 disciples, it's because Jesus is rewiring what the community of Israel was supposed to be. He is rewiring what God's community is supposed to look like, what God desires, the kinds of people who are welcomed to be brought into the community. Jesus pursued those who were on the outside. See, this is... This is one of the astounding things about Jesus is that he's the only rabbi in history that we know of who actually pursued his disciples. In any other case, rabbis waited for disciples to pursue them and then they tried to see whether or not that rabbi or that disciple could actually be who they wanted them to be and would accept them in. And yet Jesus is going out and choosing people to be part of it. If you're on this wall in some way this morning, and you made your way in here, you need to know that you are welcomed here. That Jesus pursues you when you're broken, when you're hurting, when you're struggling. Because he has a heart and compassion for those who need help. You see, right after this, Jesus has some naysayers, some people that don't like what Jesus is doing. Notice what happens right after this. It says, and Levi got up, held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. By the way, there's lots of tax collectors because when you're a tax collector, your only friends are tax collectors (laughs) because nobody else wants to be your friend. And Levi's life is being changed and he wants to tell his story, he wants his others that he's he's done life with to, to meet Jesus. And uh, so he throws this party. And by the way, he's got the money to throw the party. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the Torah, who belong to their sect, complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. 
I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In this moment, Jesus wasn't calling the religious leaders healthy. In fact, I think Jesus was saying, you're so toxic that you don't even realize that you need me. But Jesus says, I have come to help those who are sick. I'm like a doctor who has come to the sick. I I am a healer to those who are broken. I am a helper to those who are in need. Jesus goes, this is what I've come to do. And we see that Jesus pursues. See, one of the things that I, I believe to be true is that as Craig started the conversation last week that, you know, a doors of a church really represent those who get to come in and those who stay out. That Jesus loved people and valued people so much that it was like Jesus held big arms, that the doors of a church should have big arms that say all are welcome. Bring your garbage, bring your junk. You are welcomed here. As it's been said before, the church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. Come, allow Jesus to work with you, that the church is to have big arms. But what we learn in this passage is that the church doors also have to have big legs, that they are willing to pursue, that the doors of a church go and pursue those who are on the outside, to those who feel like they can't be brought in, that they can't encounter Jesus. It's, it's gotta have the legs to be able to do that. I mean, if I would just say, say this, is that the doors of a church, it's gotta have legs as well. It can't just be about arms. We welcome all, we accept all. Great, great. But what we find out here is that Jesus, Jesus goes after them. And it gets really, really messy. This kind of stuff gets really messy. People in the midst of addiction, that's messy. People in the midst of brokenness and relationships that have gone astray, that is messy. But that is what the community of God is supposed to look like, is it is a messy church. It is a messy community. And here's the issue that Jesus has with the religious leaders, is they want a sanitized religion. They want it to be clean cut, beautiful, white, no blemish, no problems. And we see this in this word complained. Now here's what's fascinating about this. They start complaining to Jesus because Jesus is welcoming these sinners, these tax collectors. When you have a New Testament, which is written in Greek, and you have an Old Testament that's written in Hebrew, which our Bible is, one of the things just to know is that in 200 BC, the Old Testament from Hebrew was translated into Greek. So one of the cool hermeneutics for understanding the text is that if we find a Greek word in the New Testament, we can go to the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, and see if we can find that same Greek word. Because if we do, then that connects us back into the Hebrew Scriptures. And the number one word that is used in Exodus 15 and 16 is the word complain or grumble. It's the same word in the Greek. And it's what the Israelites were doing when God brought them out of Egypt and started to rewire the community to be who God wanted them to be. Their fundamental response was to grumble and complain because they didn't like what God was doing. And it's exactly what the religious people are doing in this passage. Jesus is rewiring, taking one to be part of the 12 disciples to say this is what the community of God is supposed to be. This is what it's supposed to look like. Yes, it's messy, but Jesus goes, people who are sick, people who are bleeding, that's never clean and sanitary. It starts off really, really messy. 
But Jesus says, this is what I've come to do. And it's the religious folks who are complaining about how God is rewiring and shaping the community of his to look like in the world. And I believe that Jesus challenges all of us in this to be reminded that he pursued us when we've been at our lowest, that Jesus continues to pursue, but that in order to be the community of God, we've got to be a community that has big arms, but also big legs that goes and pursues and says, you are welcomed here. Let's go through this journey together. Because when Jesus gets a hold of a life, it's unbelievable what transformation can take place. You see, the story of Levi continues to get repeated. It's not something Jesus just did, it's something Jesus continues to do. And as a way of closing out our time today, I wanna show you a video of James Appelt, who is our young adults coordinator here at Central. He's on a plane ride back from South Africa right now, but when this teaching was birthed with Craig and I months ago, we said, James, we need to hear your story. And he says, I'm not gonna be here. We say, we need to hear your story. Because James was someone who also grew up in a good religious home that lost his way. But Jesus, just like he pursued Levi, pursued James as well. And I want you to hear the power of what Jesus does when he gets a hold of a life. So let's just watch this. I'll make a few comments to end and we'll call it a day. Let's watch this together. So I grew up in an amazing um, Christian home. My mom and dad um, put us in Christian schools and took us to church every Sunday. But. Um, yeah, very, very loving parents and family, and um, I, I couldn't have been raised by any better two parents on earth. So my journey started to kind of um, take a turn. Um, so I got to my senior year of high school, I had some scholarships to go play um, basketball in some different places around the country, but um, something just turned inside of me that um, I didn't want to do what I was doing anymore. I wanted to live the way I wanted to live. Um, and what it really boiled down to is I was in desperate search of, um, of something to fill up a hole in my heart that was just so um, gasping and, and apparent, really. Um, so uh, that being said, I um, got into drugs. Um, one thing led to another, I started selling drugs. At, at first it was absolutely thrilling and, and I loved every bit of it and I was making money, I was being independent and I was living the life that I chose to live and I felt um, invincible like no one could stop me. Um, but as time went on and I continued to do things that I knew were wrong even though it felt great, um, my conscience became, began to become a little numb um, and then a little numb became a lot of numb. Um, I was robbing drug dealers um, between um, people dying, me almost getting caught by the police, me almost getting um, shot by other drug dealers. Um, and then it got to a point where I absolutely didn't care what I was doing. There were no limits, there were no boundaries, and I was willing to die for what I was doing. And if I died, I really didn't care. Yeah, so um, things began to change. Um, it was one night I was having a, um, a, a dream. It was a Wednesday night, and I called it a dream, but it was the most real, vivid dream you could ever imagine. And I remember being like pretty much awake, and I, I opened my eyes, and um, I couldn't move. I was laying flat on my bed, and I, I couldn't move at all. 
um, and I was hearing voices and I, I, the room was absolutely filled with darkness um, and I didn't understand what it was but the voices I heard were saying you're ours now Christ can't save you and that was a point in my life where I knew wow I really I really messed up so then it was a few days after October 31st 2010 it was um, Halloween ironically and um, it was a day that, uh, that God made a, a bold proclamation in my life that no one gets the final say on my destiny, um, but He does. And I went to church on a Sunday morning and um, I listened to songs that I've heard all my life growing up in a Christian home and I listened to a message in Matthew um, that, that I had heard a billion times before. Um, but for some reason, um, and it's nothing I'd ever be able to explain, um, that, that day God took capture of my heart and he came into my life like a hurricane and, and he broke me and um, he turned my my numb soul in, into a soul of life and um, and I surrendered my life to God um, that day. Um, I felt like uh, I, I was on top of the world. Um, I, I had Jesus in my heart and, and life was great, um, but it wasn't too long after that where um, I was uh, out of the house again, um, making my own decisions and, and fell back into the lifestyle that I was living before. Um, only this time I feel that it was 10 times worse. Um, but as I was doing those things, as I was living that life, um, I never felt a, a um, spirit of condemnation and, and judgment. I felt a spirit of love and grace, and that love and grace has absolutely transformed my life. Um, so after my life was transformed um, in that journey, I, I knew that um, my Christian life wasn't meant um, to be uh, spent at home, just enjoying my relationship with Jesus. So even though it is important to enjoy my relationship with Jesus, I'm supposed to do so much more than that. I'm called to so much more than that. Um, so I went to a mentor of mine and said, hey, I want to get plugged into the church. I don't care what it is, what, what you want me to do. I just want to serve. I want to do something. Um, to impact the kingdom. So he put me in middle school and high school ministry. When I was in middle school and high school ministry, I saw a lot of familiar faces. I saw faces that I had sold drugs to before, um, leaders that I've done drugs with before. Um, and it really uh, opened my eyes to a, um, to a very apparent fact that um, even in the church, there's people that are so far from God. And um, in the community, there's people that are so far from God and broken and hurting. And um, that really resonated with me because I once was someone so far from God and so lost and I know how that feels. Um, so that's when I knew that my life was a life that needed to be dedicated to full-time vocational ministry. So I pursued a Bible degree. Um, I went to Trinity College of Florida and double majored in business and um, theology. So I graduated, um, proposed to my wife, and uh, we were going to get married in August of uh, 2015. Um, and before we got married, we kind of came to a fork in the road of um, how I was going to spend um, the, the, the first years out of college. I had um, some business um, job opportunities. Um, everything would have been great and comfortable, but then there was this other fork in the road, um, and it was to move up to Holland, Michigan and um, do a ministry that I'm not familiar with and live in a town that I don't know and is very, very cold. Um, and, and uh, as, as we prayed through it and um, we're discerning where we were gonna go, I was in the middle of a series um, with my middle school students, um, The Cost of Being a Disciple. And in Luke it says, um, if you don't hate your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers and sisters, and even your own life, you can't be my disciple. And if you're not willing to take up your own cross and follow him, then you can't be his disciple. Um, so as I was teaching that to my middle school students, I, I think the um, writing was on the walls that we needed to do the difficult thing um, and, and pursue Jesus no matter what the cost 
Um, so we took that second fork in the road and, and we um, made that 20 hour drive up to Holland, Michigan, two days after our honeymoon. <laughs> um, what gets me going every morning is that I know um, no matter where I am, even in Holland, Michigan, where there's a church on every corner, it's a city of churches, I know that there's people outside of the church walls that are drowning. Um, and I believe that I have the, the life raft that can save them. And the life raft is Jesus. And what gets me going every single morning is bringing that hope and life to people that are far from God, that are broken and lost, because I was someone who was broken and lost. That, that's what gets me going every morning. That's a great story. That's a great story. And that's, and that's what Jesus does. That's, that's the great healer right there. That's the great physician. That's the great doctor. That's the great redeemer who, when we surrender ourselves to him, that this is what he can do. And the thing that's so amazing is that God never just saves us from something. God always saves us for something. That when we experience that wholeness and that restoration, that God allows us to be a conduit to pass that along to other people. And I'm grateful for James. He's doing amazing work here at Central. It's amazing to see how God is using him to influence our young people. And you can just see in the way he tells his story. Uh, he's bold. He's up front. This is my story. This is what God has done. This is what I used to do. It doesn't, doesn't fulfill. It doesn't, it doesn't do what you want it to do. And uh, James is just one of the many people who on staff here have experienced the, the hope and life of Jesus and have now given the opportunity to leave other, lead others as well. And this is who Jesus is. Jesus is a God who pursues. And uh, may you just always know that wherever you find yourself. And as we continue to unpack this messy church series, uh, just always be reminded that Jesus pursues and that the church is to pursue as well. Let's pray. God, we bless and we thank you for just the time we've been able to, to spend in just the story of Jesus, you pursuing Levi, a reminder that you pursue everyone, that no one is outside of your grace and your mercy, and that you are a God who pursues. And we pray that as a church, that we would be a place that, yes, has big arms, but that we'd also have legs as well, that we would pursue and that we would invite, that we would bring in, that we would just say, hey, bring what you have and, and let's just work as a community. Let's allow Jesus to work in your life and let's journey with you as we all seek to move into greater and greater levels of wholeness in restoration. So God, thank you for being a God who does that. Thank you for James. Thank you for his story. Thank you for what he is doing here. And we thank you, God, that you are a God who redeems and transforms. We love you and we bless you and we thank you today. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, uh, Craig's going to be up next Sunday, and then I'll just be getting off an airplane the following Sunday, and we'll get to tidy up the series. Absolutely cannot wait for what Craig's going to share next week and what I get to share the week after that. So I'd love to invite you back for our last two weeks of, of Messy Church. Uh, we did take a little bit longer in the service today for obvious reasons, so would you please bless the ministry workers and kids workers by going and getting your kids as soon as possible um, and thank them for the bewitching hour that they've had to deal with your kids for the last 10 minutes. And, uh, and we'll just say, send you off in a blessing. So if you just would please stand and let's uh, send you out of here in a word of blessing. My friends and family here at Central, 
uh, may you leave here today knowing that, that God is a God who pursues, that there is nothing that you are going through that Jesus looks and is disgusted by, that Jesus is, is a God who looks at you and says, I'm just the doctor who wants to help. Surrender to me and allow me to do what only I can do. And may we as a community embody a pursuing mentality that says, yes, all is welcome. And we're gonna go after every last person who needs to know about Jesus Christ because it is only through Jesus Christ that people experience hope and life to the full. May we be that community. Grace and peace be with all of you. Have a tremendous week. Take care.